Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm so glad to have you here. Today on the show, we are talking about what you missed in your high school sex ed and how puppets may just be the best way to talk about sex. In our first ever group interview on the podcast, I talked to Hannah Mariko Bell, Sophie Underwood, and Kylie Verbowski about our experience co-creating the play Going All the Way. We talk about our own experiences with sex education and how creating art has helped us navigate our own sexual journeys. But first, today in sex. As a sex educator, one of my favorite tools in my little box of goodies is my vulva puppet. Not only is it hysterical, and I always get a laugh from whatever age group I show it to, but it's also extremely useful. I literally used it last week to explain where a tampon goes, and how there are three holes in the vulva area, not just one. Needless to say, I blew some minds. Puppet shows like Avenue Q and even animated series like Big Mouth show us all the time some of the best and funniest ways to talk about sex is through puppets and cartoons. They allow a space between the viewer and the content, something that we call in theater terms critical distance. So when we have critical distance from something, such as through hearing a story, watching a play, or seeing something fictional, it allows us to get outside of our own experiences and start to consider things that can sometimes be taboo to talk about. Now, I am a theater kid through and through, so when a good friend of mine who went to the same theater school as me said, hey, you want to do a play about puppets and sex? Well, I I instantly said yes. So over the past few months, uh, I have been the sexual health consultant for a new play called Going All the Way. Essentially, they pay me to listen to dirty jokes as these two characters try to use puppets to teach sex ed to grade sevens. Going All the Way is created and directed by Hannah Mary Cobell, whose pronouns are she, her, who also led the puppet design. The play is written by Sophie Underwood, she, her, and Kylie Verbowski, she, her. Now, the stage readings of Going All the Way are on May 7th and 8th at 2 p.m. at the Scam Satellite Studio on 849 4th Street in downtown Victoria. The readings feature Linnea Chan, she, her, as Avery, and Loretto Espinoza, she, her, as Beatrice. Now, both readings are going to have a talk back after the show with the cast and crew, including yours truly, helping to co-facilitate that conversation. There will also be ASL interpretation provided for the first performance on May 7th. Now, the really exciting thing about this play reading is that the tickets are pay what you can and are available by going to scam.ca slash going all the way. Don't worry, I have all of this linked in the episode description as well as on my website. Now, important thing, due to COVID-19, the capacity for each reading is 35 audience members, uh, and our recommended age group is 16 plus. The play may be about teaching sex ed to grade sevens, um, but actually people who are in grade seven, 12 or 13, you may be a bit young. To be fair, I don't know if 12 and 13 year olds listen to this podcast. So all to say, if you're interested in going and you have a youngster in your life, if they're 16 or older, bring them. So if you want to know about different updates about the show, you can follow at Theatre Scam on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you live in Victoria, I really highly recommend checking it out. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, please feel free to come up, say hello to me. I will be co-facilitating the talkback session after each show. Okay, 
all that information about the show aside, I really want to share with you the conversation that I had with Hannah, Sophie, and Kylie. And we get a little vulnerable and a little intimate talking about what we wish we got in sex ed when we were in grade seven and how fun it is to create chlamydia and gonorrhea puppets. So here it is. Good afternoon. Um, I'm so excited for us to sit down and talk about going all the way and sex and puppets and what could go wrong when you bring those two things together. Um, I'm going to go around and everyone's going to introduce themselves. We're literally sitting around a table right now with like a charcuterie board and rosé and it's lovely. Uh, I'm going to pass it to Hannah first. Give us a little intro of of you. What do you want folks to to know about you? Uh, I'm Hannah Modigabel. I use she, her pronouns and In the daytime, I'm the accessibility and outreach coordinator for Theater Scam. Um, By night, I'm just like a weird puppet person. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. By night, we're like, ooh, Hannah, what's happening? Yeah, I know. My administrative day job and then my weird arts at night. I like the uh, kind of like business in the day and then the adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Right? We're like, ooh. Yeah. I'm pansexual, I'm uh, fourth generation Japanese Canadian, and I'm ADHD, so intersectionality is a big part of the work that I do. And I love using different mediums to tell stories, but puppetry is the medium I'm most interested in using uh, to tell my stories theatrically. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I'm excited. And folks who are listening, of course, you all know what intersectionality is. We've talked about it so many times on this podcast. If you want to know, I will have links in the episode description. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to know more, but y'all know Kimberly Crenshaw, that's our gal. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Sophie. Okay. Hi, I'm Sophie Underwood. Um, I am a writer, and during the day I work with kids mainly, and like, I don't know, make crafts with kids and play tag, etc. And then the rest of the time right now we're writing this like weird sex play with puppets. So that's kind of the dichotomy of... uh, yeah, dichotomy of my life right now. I've done, yeah, a lot of uh, theater and writing for theater and a lot of playing with puppets, mainly with Kylie, who you're about to meet. <laughs> we have a children's puppetry company uh, and we do puppet shows for kids, mainly. And now, yeah, this one, which is for... Not kids. Not, not kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not kids. <laughs> um, I'm Kylie Verbowski. Um, uh, like Sophie said, we own Over the Moon Puppet Theater Over together. Over the Moon Puppet Theater. <laughs> <laughs> um, at 25 years old, I'm a retired journalist, <laughs> a big reader, and also a puppeteer and playwright, getting to stretch some of those skills on this recent project. I'm also um, your local fuchi queer. Um, I use she, her pronouns. But as I was thinking... And reflecting in the past few months, if I had had a, a different and better sexual education, I might not. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> right? Interesting. You know, actually, yeah, we will definitely get into later. We're going to talk about our experiences with sexual health education, uh, which many listeners, we're in a similar age bracket. So we, we've had similar uh, dismal experiences with sexual health. Uh, but I wonder a similar thing, right? As a kid, like people always used to call me a tomboy. And now I'm like, huh. <laughs> interesting if i was just born 20 years later would i have like she they pronouns or they she and like like, who knows like what would have been different about that but more on that later i just uh, i'm interested to know right 
Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Hannah because Hannah and I went to uh, theater school together, and I gave you a whole spiel about um, our friendship beforehand. And uh, I just <laughs> Hannah approached me and was like, "Hey, let's create a play about sex and puppets." So, like, where did this idea come from? It actually started with the puppetry part first. I took a really wonderful workshop with Ingrid Hansen, who. Uh, is a puppeteer who's worked on all sorts of different projects. You can see her on Apple TV. She's in the new Fraggle Rock reboot. And she's also been in several other like really famous puppetry projects. And she was talking about the relationship between puppeteers and then the relationship between like a puppet to the puppeteer, the puppeteer to the audience, and then like the relationship with the puppets. And I thought, I really want to investigate the relationship between two puppeteers more and kind of pull back the curtain yeah. and then I was starting to think about what kind of context this could take place and then I thought about two puppeteers trying to teach a sexual health class because I thought what's more complicated as a subject for them to try and tackle you know they might seem unrelated but they the core of this project is actually about graduating from university because this is inspired by one of my best friends Megan Hussanini Chandler about how like when we were graduating she had a very clear path she lives in Japan now and I didn't know what to do and so I thought it'd be really interesting to have a method of exploring what our friendship looked like near the end of our degree and kind of like when one of us knew exactly what our path was and the other one didn't quite know and we're both doing very well now but kind of that that moment and so thinking about that kind of moment of well you're right on the precipice of big change that's what I think about when I think about sexual health education is puberty and I think about all the changes that you go through and it's a pretty turbulent time and how those two things really connect for me and that's what I really wanted to explore with this piece mm-hmm. yeah when you and I first started talking about that I love that idea of you know your emotions and your body and everything else and like your kind of your status in the world is changing right and so when you're going through puberty you're really at this point where you're like don't even trust your body you're like what is what the hell is happening right you're like where did these come from um <laughs> And what I just found so beautiful was that weaving that together with friendship, I find more and more when I'm asked to go into classrooms and teach sex ed, it is about puberty. But the questions I get asked most often are, how do I set healthy boundaries with my friends? Like, how do I make sure that I'm there for them? And people are really asking a lot of deep, interesting questions about friendships um, and relationships more generally. So I think that was really lovely to think about how we're, we're bringing our personal experiences into our into our art into our work it's kind of inevitable that we do that right <laughs> that that happens we all giggles we're like yeah i mean any kind of art has some sort of self-reflection i'm wondering we're going to talk more about like the premise and folks how you can come see it if you're in victoria but i i want to know when you know sophie and kylie when you were first approached by hannah <laughs> similar to me you're like hey sex and puppets <laughs> what were your initial thoughts <laughs> Um, I definitely remember a, a wariness about, because uh, all we know is our personal practice with puppets, which, mm-hmm. like we mentioned, is largely for kids and, like, really young kids. Mm-hmm. And our puppets, like, aren't allowed to swear. They're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to talk about breasts no. and <laughs> penetration. <laughs> we also, we've, like, I don't know, we've really intentionally stayed away in our puppetry practice from Mm -hmm. like sexual humor like on the one hand obviously because we 
do content for children. But we've also made different, like, puppet short films. And, like, we, we've mm. done other things where we've played with puppets. Or we've done them at comedy shows. And even then, we were like, our puppets do not talk about sex. We do not want them to. Because uh, that idea... I don't know. It made me really uncomfortable, which this process has made me think a lot about. Yeah. But yeah, so we initially, I think, we were a little, yeah, curious and a little bit like, whoa, this is something we've, like, been actively not exploring with puppets. Mm. And, like, what an interesting challenge to present to us mm. of, like, well, let's dive into that and let's do exactly that exploration. Totally. Mm. And I think a part of that wariness was that our, the puppets that we use... We've had them for a long time. We're very familiar with them. A lot of them play their roles over and over again. Like, they are their characters. They are (laughs) Millie. They are Jeremy. Like, they are Octopus. Um, But with this project, knowing that we would also get the chance to build puppets that could have their own characters, that seemed like a big opportunity to kind of break that that stereotype that we have like built in our minds about these puppets. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely a lot of curiosity. Also Mm -hmm. an interest in like as you're saying how our art inevitably reflects our lives like mm-hmm. it was very close to home in a way in terms of like creating a piece about two best friend puppeteers in their 20s because <laughs> that's like kind of our actual lives <laughs> and like so that was also an interesting component and to work with like trying to fold in parts of our identity and experience but really explicitly not make these characters us like these characters they're not mm. us they're not hannah they're not leah like they're their own mm. their own people so that was another really interesting challenge of trying to sort of yeah use the fact that the material is close to home without letting that like be to the detriment of the piece mm-hmm. i also remember being really excited in one of our first meetings when we established that this play was going to be in real time like mm-hmm. yeah. there was going to be Avery and beatrice the two puppeteer characters um like setting up for the show in like a middle school classroom and then the actual like educational show and then how it falls apart (laughs) (laughs) and then the outro all in the same time which felt super theatrical to us like very much like yeah like the possibility of theater encompassed in this so it was exciting yeah it's funny, I've had a few people ask me, like, why are theater and sex connected? Like, I'm not seeing that at all, right? And uh, people who've listened to the podcast or when I go into classrooms, people are like, we have a PhD in theater, but now you're here to talk to me about sex. <laughs> but I wonder, I'm going to kind of, we're going to come back to talking about the sexual education that we receive. But first, you know, like that theatrical element and like you're saying, Kylie, the fact that we can have it in real time, we get to watch this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this, you know, these two puppeteers who are stressed, who have their own tensions and dramas with each other, try and teach really complex topics to kids. And a lot of the time we have our own feelings around those. So like, I'm wondering the world of art, but also like theater and maybe specifically puppets, like why is that an interesting medium to talk about sexual health, to have open conversations about sexual health? I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to you first, Hannah, and then we'll kind of popcorn style from there. I think that puppetry is a magical, uh, like way in theater to talk about complex subject matter because it really makes me think about, animation in the same way of why I love both of them so much because there's something so human about things that are 
technically not human. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you see an animated person who looks human, there's something that it, it opens up an alley of conversation that people don't expect. And it can make it more comfortable and approachable for people to connect. It's the accessibility of it, of being able to break down these subject matters that are really, there's just so many layers to them, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's why puppets are the perfect alley to talk about this because it takes away that pressure from everything being, you know, only in a serious realm. Mm-hmm. And that's especially why I wanted this piece to be comedic because I think comedy also really helps break down barriers in complex subject matter. And it helps realize that it's not this like scary subject that is unapproachable to talk about. Mm-hmm. I wanted this. I really hope that people after this play will go and start talking about things. They'll feel that they have some language that maybe they didn't have before. Or they find themselves relating to the characters in a way that they can be able to, you know, check in with themselves and figure things out about themselves that they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the type of puppets that we've built and are building for this show are inherently funny. <laughs> like, I think there are forms of puppetry that are really adept at handling serious matter and they have, like, a gravity about them um these That's puppets not don't these, ones. <laughs> <laughs> these puppets are so funny and i think it takes away some of that taboo about a lot of sexual subjects where like what if you just got to have a conversation with syphilis <laughs> you know and put a face to these scary things that we don't yeah we don't we don't have like a physical uh a mental image for what gonorrhea looks like but what if it was mm-hmm. like this big fuzzy thing with googly eyes that was talking to you with this big orange mouth (laughs) Mm. i think that like i know we're gonna get to later a bit about the sexual health education we received but i remember it was just it was very uh it was very dour and very serious and sex Mm. seemed Mm. it was painted as a very like sort of scary dangerous Mm -hmm. taboo thing and I think that puppets are just so goofy and fun. And also, like, that is what sex is. Sex is goofy and fun mm-hmm. and positive and weird. So in in that way, I think that puppets kind of lend themselves weirdly well to this mm-hmm. world. Um, and I also think that puppets can just get away with saying things that people yeah. can't. <laughs> like, there's just such a magic to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes both ways in that they can say outrageous things and you accept it more because they're a puppet. But also they can say really genuine, cheesy things. Mm-hmm. And it's like it almost gives you permission to accept it as opposed to when it comes from a person or, a, you know, a person standing and reading a poem or something. You might be a little more likely to be like oh well that's that's a little cliche that's a little Mm -hmm. cheesy but when a puppet delivers it i don't know something about it almost like just grants you that permission to be like yeah like i do feel that (laughs) yeah Yeah. i think in 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 relating that to sex right like in any sort of sexual experience that we're having we're inherently we're asking ourselves and whoever we may be having this experience with uh to be really vulnerable yeah and quite often Mm -hmm. that can be a really funny experience because your body's gonna make weird sounds yeah Yeah. right and sometimes you want to say things that sound so cheesy like i want you i need you or something like that you're like oh how do i need that i really like in this moment you're like oh how do i express that and so to me what i've always found really interesting about kind of um theater in general and for me this is my first real like 
puppet project being a part of. So I'm Welcome. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? you know, you will never leave. You'll only ever do puppets. Um, but yeah, there's just something really like playful and, and silly about it, but that also gives us permission to enter into that really vulnerable space. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think so often we forget that. And I think as educators, <laughs> we're almost afraid sometimes you know personal experience to like bring in the humor right mm-hmm. or or to swear or to say whatever those things that actually inherently make us feel more comfortable but yeah. because there's such strict rules about what we can say about sex is so like stigmatizing and so taboo that you know instead you're like oh i went and saw this puppet play and like oh my gosh that's so silly that like chlamydia looks like this and now people are having a conversation about chlamydia <laughs> Excellent. Like, isn't it's interesting that you're talking about talking to other people. I think a lot about how this will help people almost have conversations with themselves too, Mm. because I think that there's a lot of people who don't actually have the time or they're, they don't allow themselves to take the time to have that self introspection about their identity, about the way that they feel about certain things. And I hope that this play will give them an avenue to, to take the time to like look in, you know, inside themselves and be able to really think through, like, what do you actually want, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you actually feel about certain subjects? Especially thinking about, you know, we talk a lot about sex, but also the absence of sex. Because mm-hmm. that also has a lot, people have a lot of feelings about when you're not having sex either. Yeah. So I think that that's an interesting part of the conversation that I'm interested in looking at it both ways. Yeah, yeah, I think that personal aspect. And yeah, just really underpinning what you're, what you're saying there, Hannah. Because I think... So often we think about sex as something that we do with another person and don't mm-hmm. think about our own sexual identities and beings as, mm-hmm. you know, really that first sexual experience or whatever, you know, is with yourself and understanding mm-hmm. what are my desires mm-hmm. and thinking deeply about what you want that to look like, right? And is that like a physical manifestation? Is this like, you know, some really rich, fantastical, like fantasy that somebody's having? Like they're just kind of... Mm-hmm opens up the language for it and i think any medium where you get people to talk about sex i'm like yes more people talking about sex like and and not just like oh let's talk about the act of sex like let's talk about all of the context and emotional things around that because that's just as important as talking about the act itself yeah right? totally. i feel like we don't spend that much time or at least i don't as much as i would like like carving out time and space to think about like sexuality and desires as an individual person as opposed to being shaped by partners mm. and just to, yeah that i think that a lot of adults could use sort of a, a sex talk and by that i mean just like a time and space where you were invited to really think mm-hmm. about these things for yourself in a way that maybe like you you haven't since you had the puberty talk like oh, really? something where it's not necessarily a conversation with sexual partners you're having but just a conversation with yourself and i not, don't think we yeah. do that that much not just thinking or talking but like playing and like <laughs> yeah. uh, spending a lot of time <laughs> masturbating and like maybe yeah. go get a new sex toy and figure out what you're into for mm-hmm. your body i agree totally so let's ladder into talking about the sex education we did or maybe <laughs> did not receive. And, um, so, yeah, and again, only what you, like, feel comfortable <laughs> sharing. We're <Lots. laughs> oversharing. Right? We're all, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all theater kids. You want the juicy details, you're here for the tea, this is what's going to happen. Um, yeah, so... Hannah, it sounds like you're 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 ready to spill yeah, yeah. the beans. Yeah, oh, yeah. she's, she's, she's leaning forward. Like, mm-hmm. all right, what was it like 
So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. That's the first thing you need to know about going into this conversation. Um, and out of all things, I found that I had a better education about drugs mm. from a teacher going off script and telling us, try all the drugs you want, but be careful. Oh. His one sentence of saying that was better than any of the years of sexual health education that I had. Wow. Because mm. I found that a lot of the education, so I went to a private school too, and so I found that they were really afraid to talk about everything. It was very clinical. And that mm. is the thing I think you should not be talking about sex in a very clinical manner because that's what scares people mm-hmm. is because when you talk about it, like it needs to be this like sanitized, you know, everything fits in a little box. And when I'm, you know, 13 in Alberta, realizing that I was, you know, pansexual for the first time and going, I don't even know what this word means. I just know I'm not straight. There, there wasn't any room for that. Mm-hmm. And I just found that everything that was, it was just all, I mean, obviously in my case, very heteronormative, you know, it's all about the one thing, but it was more like, here are your bodies, here are the things to do, please wear deodorant. Some kids didn't even follow that, (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't talk about all these things about like who I was and what I was scared, you know, like I had friends who were having sex way before I ever did. And I felt so bad about that. And that's the piece of my education that I think is the most important is that guilt and shame Mm. that people feel when they are not at the same place as other people. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I was any worse than any of my classmates because of that, but I was made to feel less because I wasn't in the same place and it made me feel like I wasn't desirable, which was not good. Mm. And I, I never should have had to feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And dealing with that when you're so young too, like I... I don't know. Like, I think a part of it that comes, it affects all folks, but I think especially if you're, like, socialized um, as a female, as, like, a young woman, how much you are, like, okay, I need to be desirable, but not too desirable, right? And so there's all of this idea around what is desirable, but also what is normal, right? And you're like, oh, well, I'm 15. Well, exactly. I should have had sex by now because all my friends are doing it. And, like, our data and our research shows us that that is not the case, right? Yeah, far less people. Even in, like, southern Vancouver Island, it's, like, Mm -hmm. of teenagers, I think it's only, like, 20% who have had what they would describe as some form of sex. And I think people would think the inverse. They would think 80% have. Before the end of high school, you mean? Yeah, before the end of high Mm -hmm. school. So I think it's, yeah, folks between the ages of, like, 15 and, like, 18. Yeah, I, I remember feeling like everyone was having sex when I was in high school, uh, and they weren't <laughs> like just yeah. like uh, I don't know. There was always this this air that everyone is having sex but you, and then mm. you start sort of talking to people and figuring out, and you're like, actually, not not that many of them are. And I think the guilt and shame goes both ways. Of that, there's this weird guilt and shame if you're not having sex that like you're not desirable enough or mature enough. And then there's also this guilt and shame if you are having sex because you have been told in every way by every person of power <laughs> throughout a lot of your growing up that you should not be doing this mm-hmm. so it just doesn't really feel like there's a way to win <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're a teenager no. you're no. damned if you do and you're damned if you don't absolutely i hope it's not still mm-hmm. like that for folks yeah. going through that phase now but mm-hmm. i don't know well and one important factor for me too is that like i am you know not a size zero i'm a curvy lady and so like growing up being curvy and being around like a ton of skinny girls like it really affected my self-esteem too and so i think that's Mm -hmm. a big piece of the puzzle that they're missing with sex education is talking about things like Mm self-esteem 
mm-hmm. and self-worth because those play in so importantly totally. mm-hmm. into, because sex and emotion are not separate items no. and because yeah. they talked about it in such a clinical manner there was no room for emotional talk and then you're in your teens it's a pivotal moment for you to be able to connect with yourself mm-hmm. and be able to talk about your emotions because it will really affect you later on mm-hmm. you know to be able to be confident and proud of who you are yeah and quite often i think we forget i mean like you know we're in our 20s well now i'm 30 um, <laughs> i can't i can't claim to be there anymore yeah talk to me three months ago <laughs> um but yeah i just it's it's funny like you, you talk about that hannah where self-esteem is such a foundational part of how we should be talking about uh you know talking about sex in general so the, the thing that I was, was thinking about and kind of wanting to add on that is that I think we also forget that when we are young, this is our first time feeling these big emotions, mm-hmm. right? So when you fall in love for the so first time, yeah, oh, yeah. right when you get dumped for the first time, the first no. time, like it, first time you experience an orgasm, I don't know, some people still have not many, many years later or ever in their mm-hmm. lives and you're like, oh no, so sad. Um, but I think we forget that literally in our brains, we are trying to figure out what it is like to feel these big feelings mm-hmm. and we haven't been given a roadmap to talk yeah. about it. Or to also have our feelings validated. Like how many adults would say to us, like, well, it's it's young love. Or, of yeah. course, you're feeling this way because, yeah. you know, you don't have enough experience. I'm like, those yeah. feelings are so valid. Um, yeah. And especially the first time we're having them, we don't know what to do with them. Well, it's yeah. funny that you mentioned orgasm because even, like, that's a foundation of where a lot of things go wrong with when people are trying to do their own research. Because then they think that's what you have to achieve. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these other fun and amazing experiences that they miss along the way about connecting with mm-hmm. a partner and the idea that like you don't have to be you know in love with your partner to be having sex with them too that there's mm-hmm. all sorts of yeah. different types of healthy relationships that you can have mm-hmm. and i think that's the important part for me is i think that it's important that people think about it as emotions are not this thing that people need to run away from when they talk about sex i think they are mm-hmm interconnected and i think that there's an avenue for them to coexist healthily Mm -hmm. yeah no i i I really appreciate that you said that too hannah because i think so often when we talk about sex like we can come from a kind of like a moral positioning and look at our society and be like if you're in love then it's great you know Mm -hmm. we and we create this kind of like healthy versus unhealthy label i'm like well you know having a pursuit of pleasure with someone that you aren't in love with like that's absolutely fine, yeah. right? I don't know. I'm going to kind of put that in terms of like sex education. Do you ever feel, for me, I felt like I can't have sex till I'm in love. That mm-hmm. was, that was oh, yeah. I, they were firmly yeah. linked in my mind as a, yeah. as a teenager, for sure. That they, yeah, that you could not have one without the other. Or you could, but that that was like a very bad and like cheap thing to do. Mm. Yeah, and I grew up also in Calgary. Um, and I was in the Catholic school system from K to 12. I got my last year of sexual education in grade six or seven. And after that, every single year, they would send home the parent consent forms and make a big deal of it. And, you know, not everybody has to attend if they don't get consent from their parents. And, like, it's a discussion. And then the day would roll around and it wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And the teacher would just put on a movie. Mm -hmm. And in high school, 
you know, in junior high, nobody, you know, everybody's kind of flustered about it. And they're like, oh my God, okay. The talk. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> and by the time high school rolled around, I had some questions. <laughs> yeah. And I also wanted to know, like, I wonder what they're going to teach us. Like, I wonder what's age appropriate for where I am right now. Because I think it also gave me the social gauge of like, what what should I be doing? Like, mm-hmm. what should I be feeling? What's, you know, in the, in the grand scale of puberty, like you hear it goes into your 20s, but like, what what should I still be expecting? <laughs> like I've gone through a lot of changes. What's to come? <laughs> yeah, what the hell else <laughs> are they gonna throw at me? <laughs> um, so yeah, kind of a total lack there. What I mentioned earlier about education on like sex versus gender was something. Yeah, it was never discussed when we were growing up. Never. I think for a lot of people, and it's something that we, Sophie and I, actually. Well, all of us went back and forth on including in the play or not including in the play. And it feels it was just so natural for these characters explaining to these to this grade seven class. Like these are this is the difference between sex and gender. This is like but there's a million different gender identities. Like you don't have to subscribe to any of them Um, where we were like, is this do, do we even need to bother putting this in? Like, don't people just know that? And it's so funny how fast that conversation mm, happened. True. But um, we landed on absolutely keeping it in because there's going to be so many different demographics attending this play. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, guys? And yeah. people, um, maybe older folks or people that have, you know, whatever, just don't have that same sort of education that we have right now or are in the queer community or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think about the phrase, common sense is not common. Shout out to Carla Stout, who taught me that at the Phoenix. Um, but as soon as Carla said that, I thought about this context, because it would have been so easy to be like, this is a queer play, but we're not going to include definitions. But I go, wait a second. What if there are people who this might be the first time they ever think about themselves differently? Hmm. You know, I think about representation a lot and how important it is that it isn't something that's elite. And theater has a bad reputation for being really elitist. Mm. Um, but I think that the representation of having education as a part of this play was important to me. You know, I thought this could have just been, it could have just been a silly sex comedy, but it was important to me that it had an, an actual educational foundation because I didn't want to just make jokes without foundation. Sex is, while we talk about it being funny, it also is serious. And I don't want to make light of people's experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I am cisgender myself, so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't, you know, just coming from a cis place of making sure that I, I included other people because I'm not, you know, I only have my limited perspective with them being in the queer community. And it's important that I make room for others and their experiences. Mm-hmm. Really and amplify voices when you get a chance to, right? And if you are given a platform to really integrate these things, and, and like you're saying, Hannah, like so much of this information I think also depending on where we live, like we live in Victoria, it's a pretty like queer Mecca where we, you know, we talk about a lot of these things quite openly. And even as someone who literally goes around to schools and teaches kids about their bodies, there's still a lot of them who don't know anything about it. And like the first time I talk to them about gender, they're like, wait, what? There, there are not two genders or there's um, the most common guess is that there's 12 genders. I don't know where that came from. It's very interesting. 12. I know. And I'm like, fascinating. I don't know. Maybe as human beings, we're into like 12. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> what, they couldn't they couldn't name them. No, 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 no. The kids are just like, I'm just gonna throw out a number. I'm like, okay, like this is actually a trick question, but sure. <laughs> but, uh, you're all wrong. Yeah, y'all think you're so funny. But yeah, I just think there's when we have an opportunity, particularly to integrate education and things that we think are like important or resonating with us you know, and kind of getting to what would have been helpful to learn when we were younger. <laughs> like what are these conversations, if we had had them, mm-hmm. how much like trauma and heartache and so many other things, or even think about, you know, if I had had that language, how many of my friends or family members could I have helped mm-hmm. if I even was able to navigate those situations? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if, not that you can probably condense it down to like one thing, but what is something that you wish you had been taught earlier on in your life around sexuality or gender? I, I grew also, I grew up here in Victoria, which is generally like very progressive. And I was in high school, like what, I don't know, like seven years ago or whatever. And, um, and I was in a public school and uh, all these things like seem to make me think that we would have like somewhat decent sex education. I think we had two talks and one was in middle school what was talking pretty much exclusively about periods and the boys got to just go play outside and only mm-hmm. the like quote unquote girls had to stay and uh and then later in grade 11 we had one about sex and it was only about contraceptives and I think like almost exclusively condoms mm-hmm. and it was pretty much it was almost like um like a drug scare you know when like the police mm-hmm. come in and they're like don't do drugs uh-huh. one thing leads to another and you will die it was like mm-hmm. very much like that with the just in terms of like that you will get pregnant and get diseases and mm-hmm. like i remember we did this activity where we all had these little clear cups with like dyed liquid in them oh, in the gosh. class oh. <laughs> of different colors and we all were instructed to like walk around and like pour a little bit of the liquid into each other's yeah. cups and then at the end there was like um a color key and pretty much everyone's had turned the same like brown or like a dark color because yeah. they were because we were all told to mix them and it was like if your cup is brown uh it was hiv positive plus pregnant and they were like and they were like because you were really mixing around with a lot of people weren't you and we were like oh my fucking god but that oh. was anyway that was like the extent of our education and I think a really big piece that I wish I like had been talked about at all uh was pleasure Mm because I don't think that was talked about and that took me a long time as like an adolescent young adult to like come to terms with just that that was that that is a piece of sex and a very important piece of sex and it was just never talked about it was also like anatomical and scary and from like a safety perspective and like a procreating perspective, it was also like oh, com- like yeah. so. I don't think it was ever mentioned that you could have sex with people of different genders. Like th- that was also never or sex that doesn't involve a penis and a vagina. Yeah, yeah. that was, was like, just no, it was like every every single sex can result in pregnancy, and you're like, really? Sure, mm-hmm. you sure about that? Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think an emphasis on sex for pleasure. And the fact that sex is supposed to be pleasurable and you, like, mm-hmm. deserve pleasure and can, like, expect that and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, hold people to that standard where things should be enjoyable for you to be experiencing, not just sort of, like, bearing with, especially as, like, a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. That would have been very helpful. Yeah. 
I think that it, what I would love to have learned when I was younger is that I'm allowed to ask questions and to be curious. Hmm. Uh, my sister, <laughs> my wonderful sister, had to deal with me on a family vacation when I asked her about everything. So she was the one who gave me the talk. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my sister. I love her very much. Um, but it's like, I also, so I am mixed race. So I'm half Japanese on my mom's side. And I think a big part of thinking about my, a, a big part of this project I've been thinking about is with growing up with, you know, in, on one side of my family, I'm Jewish and what the other side is Japanese. It's a lot of cultural stigma against talking about things like sex, mm-hmm. you know, two cultures who are pretty traditional Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, I think that there is an understandable, you know, reservation, considering that both <laughs> both sides of the family have pretty, you know, you, you think about what Japanese Canadians go through with the internment and, you know, Jewish folks with the Holocaust. And so, there's a lot of a culture of just, we don't talk about things that are difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's the biggest thing about sexual health, I think about with Japanese culture. So, when I was in university... I ended up taking a class called Love and Sex in Japan. Mm. And I think my parents were like, oh, I guess uh, that's a part of your degree. And I was like, yep, that along with the vampire <laughs> class, they, they, they just let me do whatever. What the point. Yeah, I yeah. took the class also with uh, the, um, <clears throat> the cultural significance of vampires. So I was like, okay, Love they it. already knew my degree was going to be weird. But um, <laughs> my class on Love and Sex in Japan was fascinating because they talk about how Japanese culture is so kinky, but is mm. also ridiculously and like very visibly uncomfortable talking about sex even though mm-hmm. there is so much that's ingrained you know there are fertility festivals in japan where people are literally walking around with like giant dicks like there's like there's so much go look those up if you're ever curious <laughs> hilarious getting to see that in a third year right. university uh, class we will have that linked in the episode description <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I just think about how interesting it is that, you know, there is such a a curiosity about it, but we don't let ourselves be curious because of cultural standards. Mm -hmm. And that, in my case, is when I got to university, that's when I I was really my own person. That's when I was really allowed to. Because before, I was basically just learning things off the internet because Mm -hmm. that was the only place I felt safe. And there were so many things in that where... It took me years to learn other real things because I was just looking up things by myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point about like the cultural context as well, Hannah, because like I recognize that most sex educators who exist like in Canada, I've seen in the training, they look like me. They're like usually cis, you know, maybe queer women, like white women. And like, so there's inherently like a cultural like bias that comes into how sex education is taught and if you're not going to talk about the impact of are we going to talk about the impact of colonization are we going to talk about racism and how that's embedded in so many of our social structures Mm -hmm. like if you're teaching sex ed from only one perspective then how many people are being lost in that and not recognizing all of the different ways right i think about disability gets left out in this conversation as well you know being someone with adhd there's certain things that you know i get really overwhelmed in certain situations and i think about that in the context of sex of how there are so many like prescribed ways that people are told to have sex Mm -hmm. and there's it's important to think about how all bodies just don't fit into certain like 
low, for example, certain positions, that's not Mm -hmm. healthy for the way that people's bodies work. And so Mm -hmm. bodily, like bodily autonomy is a part of the conversation that I really felt was missing as well, Mm -hmm. is that everybody's bodies need to be respected. And that conversation about consent never happened when I was growing up. Which is like so. Yeah. Consent was just like fully missed. Yeah. That was yeah. That's never talked about. And no yeah. communication. And I think that at the heart of all these conversations, consent and communication should always be first, no matter the nature of mm-hmm. any of the experiences. Totally. Consent within yourself, consent with other people. There's so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be embedded in every sex ed lesson, mm-hmm. right? Should start from that place. Yeah. And I pass it to you, Kylie, what you, what you wish you had learned. Yeah. Trying to distill it down to one thing is hard, but I think, um, like I mentioned, I didn't get much of an education about anything, um, (laughs) but specifically about identity. And at a time, like when I was in high school, everyone was on Tumblr. It was the real Tumblr (laughs) era, Um, which we just see now in like so many other streams of social media where Mm -hmm. a lot of people, and I think I've, I've noticed, especially queer people, really identify themselves really clearly in like a bio or whatever and that really became clear in that tumblr era of like you know this is my gender identity my gender expression these are my my pronouns and this is my sexuality and like maybe who i like to sleep with or whatever and i think i i wish that i had known that uh, a journey on identity because it became clear to me that I, I wasn't straight, but I, I didn't know. <laughs> and that also I didn't really know much about gender. So I wanted to explore that a little bit more. And I wish I had learned that, that there's, there doesn't need to be an end point mm-hmm. to that journey. Yeah. And that things are probably going to be flexible for a long time. And they might never land on a point. Or maybe they'll land on a point for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Or for a time with a certain partner or in a certain city or in, you know, and then there'll be a change of circumstance and all of that will be reworked or rethought. And that is all of those parts are valid. And also on that note that when I'm doing those journeys and explorations, I don't need to be transparent about that to anyone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that is information for me. And whoever gets to hear that is like, very very lucky to share that with me yeah yeah i wish we could put this in like a little time capsule and like send it back yeah. like a decade or dear, something dear my 10 year old yeah yeah exactly yeah. well me that was 20 years ago but yeah. <laughs> that was that was yeah. yeah like whatever it's just like last day last day i can't even say words now i'm gonna say yesterday <laughs> last year <laughs> yeah it's already setting in right uh, yeah, no, I just think about so many of those things that, I mean, each of these things, if we're talking about pleasure, if we're talking about self-esteem, about so many other different aspects of our identities and knowing that we could have better language for that and that it is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think how much, uh, like shame could have been avoided if, if that was the case, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm really, like, sitting around, like, this table, like, very proud of, like, the people who are here. Like, you know, not that you need my validation by any means. (laughs) Leah, I need it. I swear to God, I need it. (laughs) Right? Just be, just, you know, have the capacity and have spent clearly time and energy doing some of that really deep work, which is hard, which is complicated. And I think that's why probably people listen to podcasts, why they do other Mm -hmm. things. And we seek out information in other ways. 
because we were not given that space when we were younger. And now mm. when we, you know, are out on our own, we're in university, wherever we're at in our lives, we're like, holy shit, I missed out on all of these conversations. And now it is time for me to reclaim that and have an understanding of myself moving forward and what I want that to look like. Mm-hmm. I think about the privilege now that I have as a creator getting to do a piece like this and mm-hmm. how much like my past self I would have loved to be able to go back to myself and say, like, I'm going to give you this present and mm-hmm. here's all this information that I like really want you to know because you didn't yeah. get this growing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel that so much. Right. Hmm. Oh, we're going to take a little collective breath, <laughs> right? I'm, oh, I'm, I'm feeling that. I, oh, I'm not even going to answer the question because I'm like, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot that I could get into. Um, I was going to say that representation is something I think about a lot with this piece. Mm. And I'm really excited to be able to put, you know, a very overtly queer play up, mm-hmm. um, and I want to say that one of the big parts of getting to this point in my journey was Shit's Creek. Mm. And, you know, David Rose as a character, getting to see that. It's just like the first time I ever, like, heard the words and it made sense. Yeah. Right. And when you see it on such a big stage like that and something mm. where someone who is so talented and so, like, beloved and so many people are watching it. I, I feel you, Hannah, that scene where, and we're going to have it linked in there, but that scene where he's talking about wine, like, God, I rewatched that so many times and I use it when I'm talking to kids quite often. Not that kids understand wine. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know shit about rosé. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, also hilarious that we're drinking rosé. Uh, but, you know, like I just, I I feel so much that the more that that we can be the voice and people who are creating those resources that were not available to us when we were younger, that that is where we're going to reclaim. And like, you know, obviously we can't go back to our 10 or 15 year old selves and be like, you're going to be okay. Like you, you will be okay. Let me give you this knowledge of this understanding of that you are enough and you are valid and your desires are valid. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, you know, we can't do that, but we can be a part of changing that narrative for other people coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts we want to say about sexual health? And then we're going to have like a little, we're going to have information for folks to like go uh, see uh, the play reading. But then also if you are in Victoria, don't, this isn't your only opportunity to see it. It is a work in progress, and that's what's really exciting. If you do come see it, uh, we're interested to hear your thoughts. And, you know, it, it's very emergent. That's what I like about poses is like this. It's emergent. It is emerging. Right? And I love that. Uh, but, yeah, any other final, like, thoughts you kind of want to leave people with um, about, you know, maybe the, the role that theater has had for you in terms of sexual health or just sexual health kind of in general? I sprung it on them. I didn't tell them I would ask them this. <laughs> Give us a second. <laughs> I think the, the only thing that's really coming to mind is that it's okay to not know. It's okay to not... <laughs> to be on that journey and to be still in the place where you're just formulating the questions that you want to ask. 
we didn't have time to get into this, but I think a lot about how a lot of people think that they have to get this information from like either from their school or from their blood family. I've been thinking a lot about found families and mm. how that's a big part of like the queer experience of having your your kind of um, collected found family and how those are the people who will help you get through when you're having a lot of questions that you don't know the answers to and how mm. important it is to have that loving and supportive network around you to help you get through times when you're not really sure who you are and what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And some of us are lucky that our family, like our biological family, becomes part of that chosen family. And sometimes that's not the case. But there are that sense of community. I think you're so right, Hannah. And I think there are a lot of people listening who, you know, maybe you live in rural communities, maybe you live in a community where it doesn't have a lot of sexual health resources. But if you have a Wi Fi connection, there are there are places for you to go and people that you can connect with to, to have that support system, exactly as you're saying. Mm-hmm. God, I'm the only one that hasn't said something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's it's such a privilege to be in a position where we've had an opportunity to create something like this mm-hmm. and uh, to use art and all the like wonderful, weird, overwhelming ways that it can be used where, you know, hopefully it's fun and funny and entertaining, but also uh, a question's starter and like a a conversation starter and a door opener to people maybe considering different things about themselves or about their community or maybe having like a broader understanding of other people's lived experiences because I think storytelling it is kind of the only way to me that we get that in such a fully formed way and it it really is just such a like empathy machine Mm -hmm. of like showcasing these stories in terms of thinking about maybe folks who are not part of this community or you know who are older and who don't have this vocabulary yet Mm -hmm. maybe coming and getting to watch something like this and that being you know the pathway in for them to understand something that might not be relevant to them personally but definitely is to like a lot of people they love. Mm-hmm. And that's really beautiful. I think we're very lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Theater is catharsis is something that I think about as a phrase. Mm-hmm. I think theater is a very cathartic experience for people. Like, especially I think about as the creator, what a mm-hmm. cathartic experience to get to go back on my own sexual health education and go, this was terrible. But here are all the things I can't wait to be able to put out into the world. And even though the presentation <laughs> that Avery and Beatrice does not go well, but I think <laughs> that what what comes away for them is a, a personal journey that both of them could have never expected. But even though they have very different lived experiences, I think that they find the the humanity in each other. Mm-hmm. And to clarify, this play should not actually be used for sex ed for sex creators. Oh, no. <laughs> we intentionally made this piece it so is. that it was so, like, it's a, a sex positive piece, but it is mm-hmm. uh, not a clinical piece that will be school friendly. So this will not be a touring um, piece going into seven. Show. Yeah, this is yeah, not going so. into grade seven and eight classrooms. No, unfortunately I will not be able to bring my vulva puppet with me and like quote lines from the play. But it's for, it's for the seventh and eighth graders inside us all. Yes. <laughs> it needs some healing. It's for them. <laughs> we were all seventh and eighth graders once and, Oh, wow, what a journey. (laughs) (laughs) What a time it was. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. 
On the next episode, I'm talking to Farzana Doctor about what it means to be a good woman, quote unquote, dating in your 40s, and how non-monogamy really forces us to grow and reflect. We also talk about her new book that is a collection of poetry, You Still Look the Same. If you have a question, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com, or you can message me on Instagram at dr.leahtidy. You can also learn more about the projects that I'm involved in, the books that I recommend, and the amazing folks that I have on the podcast at my website, www.leahtidy.com. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.